And so Romans chapter 6, a familiar passage of scripture, and it says, Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's have a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the wonderful name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the testimonies of young people, young men and women who got saved, who got baptized with the Holy Spirit, who got delivered from the power of devils. We thank you, Lord, for what you did. And Lord, we just believe you, Lord, for more testimonies to come in of the great and wondrous things that you did, Lord. We just give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. And God, we just ask that you, for your anointing tonight. Anoint me to minister your word. Anoint us to receive. And Lord, we ask you, and we just ask, we leave it in your hands, Lord. We say it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As you know, the word of God is the story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, the word of God is the story of redemption. It is the story of how man lost his way in the Garden of Eden. He disobeyed God. He failed to walk by faith. He failed to live by faith. He disobeyed God. And because he disobeyed God, sin came in to mankind. The sin nature came in to mankind. As it's referred to sometimes, original sin was birthed. It came in, and, and as we see in the book of Romans chapter uh, 5, that all men, in Romans chapter 3, that all men, all people are born in sin. We're all born with that sin nature on the inside. But the Bible, the most wonderful book in the whole earth, is the story of how God can reverse that. Hallelujah. Of how God will change a sinner's heart and, and take him from being a child of sin, a slave of sin, a child of the devil, and, uh, and, and save his life and make him a child of God. The story of redemption. That's what the Bible is all about. It's not about good deeds. It's not about religious activities. It's not about just a, a, some personal creed. It's not just about a good man. It's God's redemption plan. That's why this is the greatest book on the face of the earth. Because it tells the story as it is. It's the truth. I said it's the truth. And as, and as we said just a minute ago, as Brian sang, the world that we live in today is so full of lies. It's so full of perversion. It's so full of half-truths. It's so full of subjective truth. But this book, God's Word, Jesus, and what he did for us at Calvary, it is all the way the truth. It is the truth objectively, and that's it. It's the truth. It's the way it really is. And if you and I tonight, and we have accepted Jesus Christ, we've given our life to Jesus Christ, then we have accepted, we've surrendered our life to the truth. Man, that's good. That will sell in heaven, by the way. Hallelujah. And so the story of the Bible is that. It's all about that. 
Man lost his way. God provided a means by which man can come back through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. And so the Bible is all about Jesus. And get this, Jesus is all about the cross. I said the Bible is all about Jesus, and Jesus is all about the cross. He's all about the cross. And you know this, I'm not saying things to you that you are not familiar with, but what we, we need to be refreshed and reminded at times that we should never separate who he is from what he did in God's, in God's eyes. God never separates who his son is from what his son Jesus did at the cross. They are one in the same. Christ and am crucified. The only time that the word and is ever included in the name Jesus is in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hallelujah. And so it's all about Jesus. Again, it's not about some personal creator, some good man. It's all about Jesus. And it was to the apostle Paul, the man who wrote pretty much half, if he wrote the, if he wrote the book of Hebrews, the apostle Paul wrote half of the, over half of the New Testament, Think about that for a moment, writing half of the New Testament. But it was to the Apostle Paul that God gave to him a revelation of the cross, a revelation of Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross like God had given to no man that ever lived at that point or even up to today. Nobody has ever received a revelation of the cross like the Apostle Paul. God showed it to him. By the power and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, God revealed to him the cross and all that Jesus did at the cross. But one of the interesting things and powerful things about what God showed the Apostle Paul about the cross was that through the cross, God not only provided for us salvation, that is justification, to be legally declared righteous in the eyes of God. That was provided for through the cross and through simple faith in his finished work, justification. That's the greatest miracle that's ever happened to us. But what God showed to the apostle Paul was that not only through the cross did God provide the means for justification, but he provided the means for us to be sanctified as well. He provided the means for us to be sanctified. Sanctified, in a nutshell, just simply refers to that process by which we are formed and made into the image of Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that he not only provided the means for us to be saved, but he provided for us the means to be changed. Even after we're saved. That he he opened the door for sinners, but now that we are saints, the blood still has power. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. The blood still has power. Power not only to save me, but power to change me. Power to heal me physically. Power to heal me mentally. Power to save my family. Power even to heal my finances. Power, 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 power. Oh, and I saw, I know sometimes the critics like to say, well, oh, well, there's power in the resurrection, which is true. 
Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But, be, but there is power in the resurrection because there was power in his death. It is finished does not sound like a statement of defeat. It is a statement of victory. Oh, glory to God. It's a statement of victory. A statement of victory. Maybe you just need to be reminded tonight of the victory that you have in Jesus. And so God gave to the Apostle Paul this revelation. He summarized it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. If you want to turn there real quick, you can. But I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 where Paul said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oh, I know you've heard that before, but I'm going to read it to you again. For the message of the cross is foolishness unto, uh, unto those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, that it speaks of those who are saved, and in that process of sanctification, do we have any here that are there? You are in the process of sanctification. Well, Paul said that the message of the cross is the power of God. It's the power of Almighty God unto us who are in that process of sanctification. The power of God is the Holy Spirit. So how is the message of the cross the power of God? It's this, that it's through the cross that the power of the Holy Spirit changes us, flows in our life, and gives us the life of God, the life of Jesus, to flow through our spiritual veins. So that when the world sees you, they don't see someone that's just like the world, that just goes to church on Sunday every once in a while. They don't just see someone who calls themselves a Christian, but that's it, just in, just in terminology. But they see someone who has a different life in them. Somebody, a, a, a power that's living in them and flowing through them that the world, they don't have. And that power is not sports. That power is not liquor. That power is not immorality. It's not charisma. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God. When he said the message of the cross is the power of God. I want to give you very quickly tonight just a real quick definition of what the message of the cross is. What is the message of the cross? Some translations say the word of the cross. In the Greek, it's the it's the Greek word logos, which literally just simply means a word. But sometimes it can, be, it can mean a message or a spoken word or even a written word. But we're talking here about the word of the cross. What is the word of the cross? What is the message of the cross? Well, in a nutshell, it's simply this, that God has given us everything in the person and work of his son Jesus at the cross. Get that? That God, the true God, the creator of all the earth, the God of this Bible in the beginning, God, that God has given us 
unworthy, undeserving vessels, he has given freely to us everything. Can you say the word everything with me tonight? Everything. And everything means everything. From the grave to glory, everything. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm not from the grave to glory. From, the, from birth to glory, everything. From the grave to glory too. <laughs> everything. He has given us everything through the person and work of his son Jesus at the cross. And get this, because this is critical as well. And, and we receive that everything by faith alone. That's where the rub comes in. That's where the rubber meets the road. Many people might acknowledge or they might say, okay, yeah, they might say amen to my first statement. But the second statement is where the rubber meets the road because we receive that everything through the cross by faith alone. Because God doesn't work on a wage basis. So many times, or get this, every religion in the world functions on a wage basis. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. You hear that? Every religion in the world functions in that way. And really our own flesh, due to the fall, thinks that way. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. But you know, God's plan is that we did bad, he did good, and we received that good by faith. Hallelujah. That is the message of the cross. I said that is the message of the cross. And that is the place that God is bringing his people back to. That our faith is anchored in the finished work of Calvary, not our works, not our achievement, not our religious activity, not what we do, even though the child of God, you and I as the child of God, are going to be active, even though you and I are going to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek ye first. There's going to be a pursuit. There's going to be a seeking. At least there ought to be. But... Our righteousness, our standing, our acceptance before God is not based on how much we pursue him. It's not based on our strong will, our determination. If it it was, you know what? God would not be right. God would not be just, but he's a just God. And so God gave to the Apostle Paul this understanding of the cross, that everything comes through the cross. You know, as it concerns what God showed the Apostle Paul, God gave to Paul what I refer to sometimes as the theology of the cross, the doctrine, the message of the cross. But understand this about the Apostle Paul, and this is something the Lord's been really showing me recently and opening my eyes to, and it's very simple But you know, sometimes we miss and we overlook the simple things, don't we? (laughs) We get so complicated, we're looking for the deep things. And the things that God is trying to tell us are right there. 
We're looking, oh, we're looking, we're, we're, in a sense, we're, we're stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. We miss the big things that God's trying to show us because we're so focused on all the little things. We're stepping over the truths, the simple things right in front of our face that God wants to show us for us to see, for us to accept. And the Lord showed me recently, he reminded me, that as it concerns what God gave to the Apostle Paul, and when he wrote it in the New Testament, he was writing the Word of God. When he gave this message of the cross in his epistles, it was not just good theology that he was giving. He was not just writing down what the Holy Spirit wrote him to, to, to write, even though he was, but it wasn't just, he wasn't just delivering a message and then that was it, okay, that, that, I wrote it, that's good. And then, he, and, and then he moved on to his own life. It wasn't just good doctrine he was writing out, just good theology. For example, when Paul wrote the words to the Galatian believers in Galatians 2.20, when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't just giving good theology, he was telling the reality of where he was, which was the place that God wanted his church to be then and now. Paul said with all reality of himself personally, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not just something good I'm writing down here. That's the reality of who I am and where I am spiritually. The cross defined who Paul was. And hear me tonight. The same that is by the power and working of the Holy Spirit in our life, that's exactly the same thing that God is doing in us. That we can say with all reality, I have been crucified with Jesus. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. You ain't looking at me. It's not I that liveth, but Christ lives in me. And this this life I now live in this body, I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. I am loved and gave himself for me. That is who I am. That's what God is doing in every single one of our lives if we allow him to. As we live by faith, get this, as we truly live by faith, and our faith in the cross is not simply mental, but it's truly spiritual, as we live by faith, that is going to happen. Hear me tonight, it's a guarantee it's going to happen. You and I will be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. You and I will and we'll be able to say, and really in reality right now, can say, I have been crucified with Jesus. And we can say it with all reality to the world and all those around us. Hallelujah. You see, that's what 
the place where the Apostle Paul was. And the Lord used the Apostle Paul to set the example for the early church and for us today. And so it wasn't just good theology, it was reality. Oh, my Lord. The cross, his faith was not simply just some mental exercise. It was truly spiritual. It was who he was. Sometimes as we go through life and we know the cross, the light bulb has gone on. You ever had the light bulb gone on, go off? Hallelujah. As it regards the cross, you hear it. You hear the message of grace and faith. That it's not by law, it's by grace. It's not by your effort, it's by Christ's effort. Hallelujah. That he can set you free by what he did at Calvary. And you can't do it by your work. You hear that message, it bears witness with your spirit. Why? Because it's the truth. The light bulb goes on. Hallelujah. There's a free flow of grace. Glory to God. It changes your life. Many of your testimonies is that you felt like you got saved all over again. You know, that's the way it was for me. But get this, after that, after the light bulb goes on, there's more work to be done. <laughs> There's other rooms in the house that need the light bulb to go on. Because even though the light bulb is going on in the main room, there's bedrooms that are still dark. There's a bathroom here and there that is still dark, and the Holy Spirit has to walk through the house and turn all the light bulbs on. You see, that's the sanctification process, that we live by faith. And the Holy Spirit goes through every area of our life as we live by faith. And he says, and he deals with us with a certain area of our life and says, you know what? The light bulb is not on in that room. You don't know it like you think you do. The cross, your faith in the cross is more mental than it is truly spiritual in that area. And so you need to really believe. You need to really have faith. And not just say you have faith in that area, in the cross. See, that's the process we're in. Thank God for his patience. (laughs) Hallelujah. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul told us, and he outlined it. In verse 3, he said, we have been baptized into Jesus Christ. If we've been baptized into Christ, which spoke not of water baptism, but spiritual immersion into Jesus when we first got saved. He, he said that he made that statement, we are, we are dead to sin. We've been baptized into Jesus. We've been baptized into his death. He said in verse six, he said, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or that is rendered powerless, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he who is dead is freed from sin. He dealt with, in verse, uh, uh, verse 10, he said, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in, but in that he lives, he lives in the God. And he said these words in verse 11, a verse, a statement that you and I need to live by. Not just a one-time experience in our life, but a day-by-day thing that happens in every day of our life, not a religious activity, not a, not a, not a, a, a here I am, Lord, here I lay me down to sleep. I pray my precious Lord, whatever, the, whatever that prayer is. Not some religious activity, but a belief, a true faith 
that exercises itself in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He said, likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. He used that word likewise there in reference to Jesus Christ. In, in the verses prior to verse 11, Paul dealt with how when Christ died, you and I died. When he was buried, we were buried. And when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. And so he, 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 he says this in verse 11, likewise. And one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to make real to us is that simple truth that when Christ died, we also died. Hear me tonight, because I know that we know this, but sometimes I think we don't know it. We know, we know with our head, we know we've heard it before, and I'm preaching to myself tonight. We, we know it, that we, we are dead, but I'll tell you something. We need that knowledge to go from our head to our spirit, that we are dead. That when Christ was crucified, we were crucified as well. What, what, what do you mean I was crucified? Paul said in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified. And you ladies, that old woman. Because you, old, you, you, you women have old ladies too. <laughs> but that old man is the you it's you that is dominated by the sin nature. It's not only who you were before you got saved, even though that is definitely the case, that's the old man. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you got saved when you were four years old, you still have an old man. You don't live by faith in the finished work of Christ and that old man will pop his ugly head up. And you may be a new creature in Christ Jesus, but you'll be living like an old man, like an old woman. And so that old man is who we were before we were saved, but not just that, but the old man is basically who we are in our flesh that is dominated by the power of the sin nature. And Paul said, that person died. He's dead. She is dead. Just as Christ is dead, so you are dead. That person who gives in the temptation that person who clicks on the, 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 the pornography on the internet, that man is dead in Christ. That woman who sins, the man, every so all of us, as we go the wrong way, that person died in the eyes of God through what Jesus did for us at the cross. We are dead. And Paul said here, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And I have to go through this somewhat quickly because of time. But the word reckon, as you might know, the word reckon was a business term, and an accounting term which spoke of a businessman or a, a banker adding up all his inventory, adding up what he had in the bank, adding up the, the, what we had on the shelves, the stock, and coming down to a bottom number. You, you understand that concept? Coming to a, bottom, to, a, to a bottom line, a conclusion. Because when you add up all you have, you come to that conclusion, that is the number that you can function on. 
Hear me? That's the number that you can do business on. That number. You just can't make up any number. If you lie, if you exaggerate it, you're going to go out of business. You go bankrupt. And so you add up the number of your inventory. But get this, Paul used that same term in reference to what Jesus did for us at the cross. So the idea is this. Add up. All that Jesus has done for us at Calvary. Put it together. Now, to put it together, to add it up, you got to know it. You get that? You have to know what he did for you at Calvary. God's not looking for scholars, but he is looking for believers. And you add up what you know about the cross. You add up what the Bible tells us about what he did for us at Calvary. And get this, just in Romans 6 alone, you've got enough for victory. If all you did was just study Romans chapter 6, you got enough right there to likewise reckon yourself to be dead indeed into sin. you got enough right there. Add it up and come to the bottom line that you and I are dead to sin. Now I know this tonight, I know this from personal experience, and I know this just about people in general, that tonight I could preach that until my face turns blue and you turn blue, that we are dead, we are dead, we are dead in Christ. As we identify with Christ's death by faith, but get this, it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit that makes that real to you. But get this, that is the answer. That is the answer to our victory over sin. That that one, that old man, that one that gives in to the power of the sin nature, that one that allows the sin nature to rule over them, that person is dead. You see, because in the eyes of God, the way God works, God always brings life out of death. Hear me tonight. He always brings life out of death. That's why his own son had to die to give us life. As our legal substitute in our place, a death was required. But get this, on the cross, not only did he die for us, but what was so awesome that God did this as well. And he really did this, not really so much for our salvation, but for our sanctification. He not only had his son die on the cross, but he placed us in his son and caused us to die as well. It's not a, matter, it's not a situation of mind over matter. It is the truth that tonight you are dead in Christ. The old you, that one that gives in to the temptation. The one that disobeys God. Even the one that uses hand signals in, in, in traffic. The one that cusses. The one that looks at pornography. The one that abuses their wife or even abuses their husband. The one that abuses their children. The one that doesn't pay their tithe. <laughs> that person, in, re- in reality, in the eyes of God, that person is dead. He died. And now you and I are alive to God in Christ. We are dead to sin. We are dead 
to the power or the sin nature that resides in us. We're dead. It's, the, it's like a dead person laying right here. He's here, but he's dead. You could kick that dead person. You could speak to him. Hello? Hello? He's dead, though. You could pinch him. Come on, wake up. But he's dead. You see, that is the truth about us in Christ Jesus. We are dead. I'm dead to sin. So that when sin and the temptation comes our way, and get this, the temptation will come our way. Every single one of us. The temptation won't stop. The billboards won't be torn down. The temptation will still be there. But when that temptation comes to us, we won't face that temptation and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Because in reality, we're dead. That temptation is coming against a dead man. A dead individual. So, I don't face that temptation and say, no, devil, I'm not going to give in to you. No temptation. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, where's my sticky notes? I'm not going to do that. But in reality, I don't have to try to do that because I don't have to try to fight temptation in my own power because I and you are dead. We are dead to sin But here's God over here, sin over here, unrighteousness over here. There's God, here's Christ, the Holy Ghost, righteousness over here. We are dead to sin, but we are alive to God. Hallelujah. I said we're alive to righteousness. We're alive to Jesus. We're alive to the Holy Spirit. We're alive to victory. Dead to fear through the cross. Dead to worry, dead to stress ruling our life. It doesn't mean it won't attack us. It doesn't mean it won't come against us. And get this, we are a work in progress, but in Christ we are dead to sin. But we are alive unto God. So when that temptation comes our way, we don't have to try to face that temptation and say, no, I'm not going to do it. But instead of trying to fight temptation, instead of trying to fight the flesh, fight the sin nature, we can rest in the fact that the victory's already won. The victory's already won over the power of the sin nature, over the power of the devil, even over the power of our own flesh, stinking, rotten thinking. And we can look to Christ. And instead of trying to say no to sin, we just say yes to Christ. (laughs) I'm alive. Hallelujah. I'm alive. (laughs) I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. I am dead to that. I am dead. I am dead. I am dead to sin. I'm dead to the law as a means of righteousness, Paul said in Romans 7. We are dead. We are dead to the world, Romans 6, 14. If I will boast, I will boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by, by, whom, by whom the world has been crucified to me and out of the world. I'm dead to the world, the fads influencing my life, steering my life, dictating how I live. I'm dead to it. But I am alive to God and him dictating how I live my life. 
Hallelujah. Him ruling over my mind. And God ain't going to give you fear. He's not going to give you a stressed out mind. He's not going to give you a fearful mind. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. You know, in closing tonight, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, and the singers and musicians can come back. Ephesians chapter 1, that is. If you would turn there in your Bibles, I want you to see something tonight as we close. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wrote one of the most remarkable statements. He was really introducing his letter to the Ephesian believers. And beginning with verse 15, Paul is talking very personal to them. Because Paul, in reality, had spent several years in Ephesus or in the area of Ephesus, planting that church and those churches in that area. He said this, Ephesians 1, verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. In other words, Paul saying, when I heard about what was going on there, and the faith that you have in Jesus. Now don't, and, and again, Paul wasn't separating Jesus from the cross. They had faith in Christ and him crucified. And Paul heard about it. He rejoiced in that. And so what did Paul do? He said, I'm, because of that, I make mention of you in my prayers. I thank God for what God is doing in you. In verse 17, this is what Paul's prayer was. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Hear this tonight, in verse 17, Paul's prayer was for them who had faith in the cross. They had faith in Christ, not just for justification, but even for sanctification as well. He said, this is what my prayer for you is, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. In verse 18, that statement, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, what he was referring to was the fact that their eyes, spiritual eyes, had already been opened to the truth. Their spiritual eyes, the spiritual light bulb had already gone on. Hear me tonight? The light bulb had already gone on, but for those who the light bulb had already gone on, Paul's prayer for them was that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Because even though the light bulb has gone on, again, do we have any people in here tonight whom the light bulb has gone on? God's opened our eyes, hallelujah. We can see the truth. We're not living in, in darkness anymore. We're not children of darkness. We're children of the light. Even though there's a whole lot of work to do in us, we're a whole lot better than where we were before. We're not going to hell no more. Glory to God, we're going to heaven. Hallelujah.
And even though you may be struggling with your bills, as the rapture was to take place today, that's all gone, brother. Hallelujah. Oh, man, happen tonight, Lord. But even though the light bulb has gone on, the spiritual light bulb has gone on, our eyes have been opened, just like theirs were. Paul prayed for them. I'm praying for you that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You see, because what the Apostle Paul recognized and realized about himself and about other believers as well, that even though our eyes have been opened to the truth of Jesus, even though our eyes have been opened initially to what he's done for us at Calvary, there's a whole lot more that we need to know. Not just know up here in our head, but know it in our spirit so that our walk with God is not just some mental thing, but it is truly spiritual. Paul said it's the spiritual mind that is life and peace, not just the mental, not the mental mind. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, Paul said. And what we need in our life is the knowledge that we know the cross to go from our head to our spirit. That is the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's God giving us the wisdom and the revelation of the cross that we can live by, that will manifest in our very life. Stand to your feet if you would tonight. Hallelujah. This is the place that God is bringing every single one of us tonight. I said he's bringing us here. And you know what Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers long, long ago? Hear me tonight, it's the same prayer that we should pray for ourselves. Lord, you've opened my eyes to Calvary, but there's so much more. There is so much more. The cross is like a bottomless well. The more you draw from it, the more you realize you haven't even scratched the surface. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, chapter, verses 1 through 3, he said, if any man thinks that he knows something, in reality, he knows nothing. And tonight, I'm not, in any way, I'm not demeaning what we know. <laughs> Thank God for what we know. Hallelujah. But we've only scratched the surface. There's a whole lot more of Jesus. There's a whole lot more of the cross that we need to know, not just in our head, yes, definitely there, but in our spirit, so it becomes who we are. So we can say with all reality, I have been crucified with Christ. You're looking at a dead man. Hallelujah. When the, when the trials of life, the, the affairs of life, when the recession hits, it hits dead people. Because our confidence is not in the government, it's in the Lord. We're dead, but yet we are alive. May the Lord open our eyes and give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Do you want that tonight?